And we are live. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and answering the important questions you need answered to make the right decisions in building out your digital learning ecosystem. Happy. Uh, first of all, one, I am joined by Chris Rainey again. Even though we're broadcasting from my account, he's joining me again, uh, host of the HR Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being here, Chris, and for joining me. It's a pleasure. All right. And then we are joined. We are joined today with Mark Atkinson. He is the CEO of Mersion. Today we are talking AI, VR, digital experience, all sorts of exciting stuff. And rather than just do the typical kind of throw over, hey, how are you doing? Things like that. We thought we'd it wouldn't be a good learning session if we didn't have a fun icebreaker. So my question for Mark to get things rolling, and he's he's prepared for this, so I'm not throwing him on the spot, is what is your favorite breakfast cereal and why? <laughs> Well, my, my, my breakfast passion is probably inversely correlated to the nutritional goals of people, you know, <laughs> our age. And so I, I've embraced my 16 year old sensibility and, and cannot, cannot start a day without a bowl of Captain Crunch, which has, I can report zero nutritional value as a cereal, but is absolutely delicious. No natural nutritional value. They, exactly. They stuff in it, right? You need read the nutrition facts. There's stuff in. Exactly. Okay, so it doesn't bother you that it cuts the roof of your mouth? Absolutely not. Anything that tastes like a graham cracker is good to go for me. <laughs> okay. How about you, Chris? I'll put you on the spot. Do you you said Boring. you don't eat cereal, but come on. I do. I do. I was just joking. I do eat cereal. I was just trying to trying to mess you up on your first live show. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I, I'm really boring. I have Weetabix. I'm not sure if you have the same name over there. So it's just like it's like wheat biscuits. Yeah. You just pour milk on. I'm not sure if you you probably call it something else over there, but it's like shredded small. wheat is probably shredded wheat. It's yeah. shredded wheat. Probably do you do the frosted? Is it even frosted? No, we don't have. I don't do frosted. You know, I'm trying to be healthy, I right? A, I guess it's frosted. America. We put frosting on everything. On okay. everything. Yes. No, we do have frosted. Do we have shredded wheat with frosted on it as well? I just try to stay away from that. You stay away from <laughs> it. Okay. Well, yeah. Mark, I'm in your camp. I'm actually a huge fan. I I like Captain Crunch. My favorite is Crunch Berries. So yeah. that's my that's my delectable treat. Although when I'm being healthy, I'm boring too. Cheerios is like my healthy go-to. I love it. For everyone listening, post your favorite cereal in the comments. Yeah, let's you're right. In the comments. Let's hear, let's hear. Yeah, anybody people, watching. People joining, people joining the stream later are going to be like, what the hell is happening? What Why is, is all this? these cereals I thought this was about VR AR. We're talking about breakfast cereal. No. Uh, so. All I know is I have a body for virtual reality. That's, that's all that proves. <laughs> that's a good excuse. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's Yeah, well, th which actually leads into the first question that I really wanted to get answered. And, and maybe it wasn't that you had a body for virtual reality. So you said, Hey, I'm going to do this. But when you started down this path with Mersion and got into this space, first of all, one, what's a little bit about your background? Were you a tech person? Were you a learning person? What was that? And then I'll, I'll follow that up with my follow-up question. So a little bit more about your background. Uh, so I actually was kind of in your world. My, my background was in network television. I was a producer for Peter Jennings for 10 years at ABC wow. News in New York. I did long form documentaries when ABC would interrupt regularly scheduled programming to bring you this event in Washington or Beijing, or I spent a lot of time in Sarajevo during the war. I did a lot of sort of car, war correspondence and reporting for Peter. Um, and, uh, and while I was in television, I actually was approached by folks who um, were very interested in the idea of using video and online learning. This was back in the late 90s. And I launched an ed tech company called Teachscape, which um, 
pioneered the use of video to um, to model what good teaching looks like in the classroom. And um, I led that company for a dozen years and we subsequently sold it. And actually it was one of my investors at Teachscape that introduced me to the core technology that has become Mersion um, to anticipate your next question, which was sort of how did we get, get into this? Um, so um, you're anticipating it. You even know what I'm going to say before I say it. That, but that was that where you were going? Sort of how did this? Yeah, come about? well, because I was curious what. And and one of the questions I always like to ask is right when people come up with these new tech solutions, clearly they saw a problem in the market or a gap, and they said, "Hey, this is this is where we were going." So I'd be interested in that journey from, you know, video for showing people how to be better educators in the classroom to. I mean, this is a completely different shift, right? We're, we're jumping out of the classroom. We're talking futuristic stuff here. That's right. And the um, and in fairness, uh, I'd love to take all the credit for the idea, but it really <laughs> the credit doesn't go here. I uh, the fact of the matter is that there um, there was a team at the University of Central Florida, um, uh, which is in Orlando, Florida, that uh, and and strategically located, you know, just a stone's throw away from. Disney, from Lockheed Martin, and from CENCOM, three sort of very different institutions that care a lot about simulation. And if you look at where the federal government has been plowing investment dollars into Pioneer, the next generation of simulation technologies, the Orlando area is definitely one of them. And so the University of Central Florida, which has a robust research organization, had a project that had been underway for several years that my co-founder, Arjun Nagendran, was part of where... Um, he and others in the computer science department were working with the School of Education to basically create a, a simulation platform where teachers or teacher candidates, folks in uh, the university who wanted to become teachers, could practice the basic skills of managing a classroom, working with kids with disabilities, um, learning how to just set up a basic lesson without practicing on real kids. Yeah. And, and that's basically how this started. And it was in its early days, kind of like digital puppeteering. You know, the in a sense, the idea was, well, we can't get real kids, so let's have somebody behind the scenes create fake Pretending kids and, and, and literally pull the strings to make their mouths move and their heads turn. And there were lots of wires and gizmos, but over time, you know, and, and obviously Mersion has evolved this, each year, another wire or gizmo is replaced by an AI script that algorithmically makes this happen. And so, you know, we've moved from something that was very kludgy to something that is quite intelligent over time. But in fairness, Arjun and his colleagues at the University of Central Florida deserve all the credit. I just had the good fortune to meet them through an investor that thought the technology could be commercialized. Okay. So this started almost Jim Henson-esque in some ways with puppets? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting way of put it. In fact, a prototype of the technology that the university developed was called Geppetto. And, um, <laughs> and for just that reason. I mean, and, and in a way, it was meant to learn, you know, what exactly is possible here. To, and, and there's a big philosophical issue that undergirds our approach that the, the computer scientists at the University of Central Florida, and I think Mersion believes really strongly. And, and it has to do with the way 
simulations are done at a grand scale. Um, and the concept in tech uh, and in simulation is called human in the loop. And so what do I mean by that? Um, if you were to actually go see the military war game, I think we have this Hollywood version that when we think simulation, we think two things. First, we think of the flight simulator that we've seen pilots go through. And the next mental model that comes to mind is the sort of the Pentagon with big screens and war gaming, like how we have global conflict and battle, you know, the big battles happening. And if you actually have ever had the privilege of seeing that play out, the idea, it's not like some smart general pushes a keystroke and the whole game happens like a video game. What is actually happening is you have the smartest commanders in the room ordering the screens to do things. The, there is the intelligence of how battles are fought and strategized. The computer creates the reactions to the actions okay. that they launch. Invade on the right, you know, this flank. Launch this air attack. The sea, you know, the sea patrol does X. Whatever it might be that's going on, they are actually leveraging their commanders, and they they are the human in the loop that drives the intelligence of the strategy. The computer simply automates and takes out the things that can be computerized and automated. And that same human in the loop philosophy is very much at the heart of what Mersion believes about soft skills, which is to say this that while there are a lot of extraordinary things computers can do and artificial intelligence can do, and we do a lot of those things with artificial intelligence, the idea that a computer is gonna have an emotionally intense conversation with you about a professional situation that you run into, an employee who has is beyond a little bit upset at work that you have to calm down, um, a diverse cultural conflict that you might run into in the workplace, a customer who is just outrageously rude that you have to professionally handle. You know, we know that computers can do a lot of things. Computers cannot simulate those kinds of intense emotional conversations um, without a human in the loop. And the fundamental premise of everything Mersion does is to blend what humans can do well and really enhance that by creating simulations that AI can produce in a virtual world that leverage those human emotional skills and general intelligence and create things that a learner thinks are exactly like what it feels like when you have that confrontation on the job. Well, and what you're talking, I love the human in the loop right? That, that phrase I think is really impactful. And just, you know, in my experience in looking at, I don't know how many learning technology pieces I've been, when it came to soft skills, many times that to me always felt like the gap with some of these immersive technologies was when you took the human out of the loop, it felt like a bad video game. You know, yeah. It was very <laughs> just, okay, you know, I know the can it was like taking an e-learning quiz, a bad scenario e-learning quiz, and now you just have this fake person that's kind of giving it back to you. And unless you have, and, and I don't know if, if somebody in the L and D space has this kudos to you, but I don't know anybody who does, unless you had a true, you know, blizzard Activision game design <laughs> company building this stuff, it just, it didn't feel authentic. And the reality with that is we don't have those kind of budgets. We don't have that kind of stuff. So then how do you 
do that. And, and the human piece, I've had the chance to experience immersion, uh, things like that. That to me was always the differentiator was the fact you, you were interacting with a person. And the way I describe it is they're, they're a superpower because that they have that AI behind it. That's right. I, you know, the, 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 it, it matters a lot. Um, the, that you pick the right kinds of humans behind it as well. And we rely heavily on folks that have informal improv training. And if you, um, if you've ever been through improv training, it is at the heart of it is developing a sense of empathy. And, um, and the, the empathy is the ability to have somebody um, recognize what they may not be doing as well as they would like to do it in a very supportive environment. It involves listening and probing and challenging in a way that creates opportunities to learn and be successful. And in, in many ways, what our customers are asking of us is to find ways to get managers to be more empathetic as human beings. That organizations in order to work collaboratively, to be creative, to be innovative, they need to have an empathetic culture that lets people take turns, let their voice be heard, let their ideas surface. Those are skills that, whether it's technology or just the aggressive rate of growth that so many companies go through, we've lost a lot of that in the workplace. And and they're skills that require practice and, and, and persistent practice to get better at. And our folks are incredibly good at it. Okay. Well, that's Mark. There's a few people in the um, LinkedIn comment section said, uh, you know, what is the rationale behind having an avatar and why not just have the human? Be, uh, so the so to, to coin another phrase that we believe deeply in is that in order for the learning to take place, um, there has to be this kind of suspension of disbelief. Otherwise, we're doing the thing that many of us have done in a lot of training that we hate, which is role play on a stage. So yeah. right now, let's imagine that the scenario is I'll pick a customer that cares deeply about this. Uh, I, you know, the scenario is you're you're a T-Mobile store and you have, you know, a, a, a low income African-American man who is has just moved into his first apartment that wants to talk about, you know, getting his his new uh, smartphone and tablet set up. And, and to, to coin T-Mobile's phrase like this guy is not is not a is not a data plan. This is a customer that you're going to build a lifelong relationship with. Now, you want that person on the other side of the counter to treat him with all the respect and dignity he deserves. I can't role play that guy. Like, yeah. I, and I can't persuade you that I'm that guy sitting here like that, but I can create a virtual reality experience that makes you feel in real time that you're dealing with that guy. And if the next character needs to be an elderly Asian woman, like I can't morph myself instantaneously yeah. into that person, but I can immediately toggle to an avatar that it, that gives you the real sense that you're dealing with that woman. And that is the, that's what technology can do. And we call that suspension of disbelief. It's actually what we know when we see a great movie and it's, it immerses you in the experience, right? That's why we want broader tech, more sense around, more, you know, 4K or 5K. We want, and why VR is so compelling. It's also why great theater, when it really draws you in, is so compelling. Like you lose the sense that you're not in the action. You feel like you're actually part of the action. And 
that's what VR can bring to this that just being on a stage, two humans in a chair can't can't produce. Okay. Well, and I know, right, from even just my personal experience, when it comes to role playing, and this is something that I've had lots of conversations with people about when it comes to role play, is when you're role playing with just, you know, I'm role playing with Chris Rainey about how to do a podcast. It's not as authentic as being in the real situation because, right, I know I know it's Chris. And like you said, there's not that suspension of disbelief. And to me, even personally, that's always been a limitation of role play is that that other person can't pretend to be a customer because I know you're, you're Bill and you're my colleague and it's not really the same thing. And it, it is a little bit of a trippy experience. I can, I can say that from, from personal uh, experience with it. So yeah. one question I have with that on this, and this is where I'm interested in your thoughts since you've been so much closer to it because you talked about how this human in the loop is separating the uniqueness of human capability and then using technology to automate the rest. This is a this is a hot topic in general in the industry. Are you do you see or anticipate that that will change or really no matter where it goes, do you always see that uniqueness of humans staying, you know, at least to some degree unique and, and machines will never be able to quite get there? And that's well, a very theoretical question, but <laughs> yeah, let's say. Well, um, it, it's not that theoretical in the sense, and because there's a sort of a very spirited debate um, in the uh, AI world going on on just the topic you're discussing, which there's really two sort of technologies that you're asking about. One is when will AI create generalized intelligence? which yep. is the ability to do inferential kind of reasoning and thinking. And, and when will natural language processing be sort of real time and pure so that when you give your iPhone to your kid, they can actually carry on a real conversation with it and not break it as soon as they ask us sort of a silly question, right? And that, and I think we're in the camp that those things are a good ways away. Um, maybe they're coming, but they're not coming on the time horizon that we're building a big business. And in the meantime, the technology is moving so quickly that what we, what the human does in the simulation no longer matters. So I don't, so for example, in the original days, the, the, sim, the software was only as good as the ability of the actor to throw their voice and morph their voice on their own. Now we have really sophisticated voice morphing technology. It can move gender and age. We can have, I can be a little girl. I can be an old man. I can be somebody from um, a different background. Um, I, eventually we will be able to get dialogue and accent really down because the technology is moving that really hard problem to solve. Not there yet, but we're working really hard on that to get that to be the case. Obviously you can transform my visual appearance. Increasingly we can make that visual appearance look really, really realistic without triggering the so-called uncanny valley of VR that you've heard people talk about where people get creeped out by the avatar, right? That's gonna happen. Um, in we we right now have a control system that where the the actor uses either keystrokes or lev or uh, or uh, a controller mechanism to trigger the emotions but increasingly ai will allow the uh software the camera and microphone to interpret what the actor's saying and render it in real time into the body language of the avatar as well so all kinds of things where I would essentially be doing what you and I are doing right now, talking to picture, talking to my laptop, and that will actually render in real time all based on AI. Now, 
what does that free up the human to do? Well, it frees up the human to sort of play a role that our clients want us to do more and more, which is to track whether or not the learner is using the strategies they want them to use, achieving the objectives they want to use, tracking to the body language and, and vo tone of voice of what's happening in the simulation, and providing feedback on what they did well and poorly so that they can get better in cycles. And that's a really high value use of the human in the loop in our, in our simulation. Okay. <laughs> Do you need to get that? <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. So with this one, okay, so with the VR piece, because this is one thing that I think when people think virtual reality, a lot of times people are thinking, you know, you've got Oculus, you've got hand controls, you've got haptics, which can feel very overwhelming if, if you think about it from a learning and development standpoint. If you're a learning leader sitting there going, hey, we want to move into the VR space, that can feel as a barrier to entry to say, we, we just can't do that. So talk a little bit more. And I know, I know this piece, but I'd like to hear from you what that looks like because it's VR, but not, not in the sense that I think a lot of people associate when they think VR. Yeah. So we are cross, we basically are operating cross-platform. Fundamentally, we are, um, we are a simulation platform and we are an experiential learning sort of environment. We, People can do us in a headset. Most companies have not yet deployed these headsets at scale for the reasons you've described. So we deliver our simulations by way of laptops right now. We are being asked by more of our corporate learning clients, to be honest with you, to move it to mobile platforms where so much of learning is taking place right now, tablets. So for example, we have a, a, a few other telco companies where those guys who come into your house to install your set-top box, you know, they're they're walking around with a with an with an iPad or another uh, tablet device, and they want to be able to do learning in their van when they pause and break. And so the the, the marketplace is pushing for us to make these simulations work on smaller devices. At the same time, I mean, we really do believe that there are some experiences that are transformative in VR. Not all simulations require it, but there are some for which the emotional intensity or the, um, uh, uh, or the atmospherics of where you're in. Let's say you're having a conversation where the environment itself is the distraction that keeps you from being, you know, sort of empathetic in the way you're interacting okay. with somebody. We want, VR lets you really produce yes. all of that environmental distraction. So there are some things that we think are, are better for that. So we are operating cross-platform. We operate in VR, very small number of people do that now. We operate a lot on laptops, a lot of people do that, and we're increasingly moving to mobile. Okay, that's ex actually, that's, I wasn't aware that you had, I didn't know that you could do it through the headset, do a truly immersive capability. So I, I, that's, that's even more interesting to me in that really use, you go the whole gamut there. So if you have that capability, you're going that path. Because I agree, I think there are situations where the environment you're in is such a factor for having that authentic experience that, you know, just sitting and, and looking at a, a WebEx or whatever, it's it's not quite the same. Mark, okay. what, what, what feedback does the um, simulation give you? Because I've spent my entire career doing sales training, right? Role play. That's literally what I did for 15 years with a huge team of 50 sales execs. And that's what I'll do on a daily basis. And for me, the ability to be able to give the, that individual feedback on the spot during that role play was one of the most effective ways 
for me to train and develop them as uh, as, as sales executives. What feedback does the simulation give to the user? So um, let me how, answer. How does, how does that work, should I say? So yeah. um, I'll describe the experience um, that you would go through. Let's say your sales context is a good one. And um, and you're walking uh, through a classic scenario where your job as a sales representative is to overcome some basic customer objectives. Yep, to, that's, uh, objections. That's, that's, a great, that's a great one because that's one of the main role plays I do a lot with sales teams. <laughs> okay, so we would come in and inst uh, instead of seeing me here in my shirt, you'd see I would be your host um, avatar. Imagine that. And I would say, okay, Chris, so here's what we're going to do. Um, today you're going to meet in a minute. I'm going to leave the screen and in is going to come Jane. She's the head of product at the organization that you're going to be talking to. And she's just had a bad experience with the kind of technology that your firm sells. She's reluctant. She's kind of a Luddite. You know, your job is going to be to make her understand that you've been successful implementing this at two or three times. So I'd give you this kind of setup. We would you'd have any questions. You'd ask the questions. I'd get you comfortable. We'd say, pause, start simulation. In, we dissolve into, you're now in the place where you would, the office where you'd really be having the conversation with Jane. The Jane would sit down, she'd have her arms crossed, she'd be like, mm, you know, why, how did you get this appointment? You know, how did you get on my schedule? And your job is to soften up Jane. And, and your objective is to get Jane to understand that your technology is an easy one. And Jane's job as an avatar is to ask all the hard questions that trip you up and occasionally, like sort of push your buttons. Like, you know, I noticed you're checking your your uh, your Apple Watch there. Do you have another appointment you need to get to? Is that am I not worth the time? Like her job is going to be to sort of push your buttons, and and if you're really good, you'll get through it. But the odds are, in many of our sims, you're going to say, "Oh crap!" You know, busted. Pause. Can I stop? Let me go back and do that again. And then what happens is we dissolve back to the host, the host who's been watching. It says. Hey, so let me tell you what you did there. I noticed that you know you got a little unnerved when she said this. Do you want to go back to that moment and do it over again? So the great thing in life, when we screw up those interpersonal conversations, we never get the do-over chance. So we're going to give you the do-over chance. We get the do-over chance. You get through it. You end successfully. You feel pretty good. That's the that's part of the feedback, but that's not all. Then at the end, we record that thing. You can watch it in order to in order to actually go through the recording. We ask you. To, to use a kind of a joystick with the arrows on your, on your keyboard. Tell us when you thought you were nailing it in that sim. And, and tell us when you thought you weren't doing so well. And that creates a kind of readout on the video, which is very much like, if you ever seen in the political uh, debates when they have the focus group in the side room and they're talking about, say what you like when the candidate was saying what they like, Give us the positive, pull back and give us the negative when you don't. And you see the sort of the meter yeah. go up and down, right? So what's been happening behind the scenes, you're going to do that. You're going to get this kind of readout. But what you don't know is that <clears throat> our controls, while the avatars are acting, the human behind is interpreting, is he nailing it? Is he missing it? Is he getting it? Is he missing is he, You know, and what we're really interested in is in all conversations, we all have these moments when we're nailed. It's like the bad date, right? You know, in that day, you're nailing it. You're, she's laughing at your jokes. Everything's going really well. And then there are these moments where it just goes south. What happens in life and what is gets us in trouble is when we think we're nailing it and we are really blowing Being it. Self-aware. Yeah. Exactly. So what we do at the moment, we, we, we give you that readout. And at that moment where there's this real discrepancy, where you thought you were nailing it and you were blowing it, now we have a whole lot of data we can tell you. 
these are the things that start to show up. Your speech rate got really fast at that moment. Your volume, suddenly you were shouting at her, like, what the hell, you know? And you didn't even notice. I do that, by the way. It's a terrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> the record. But, um, you know, like that you're, That happened. Or, like, you kept checking your watch. Did you notice you weren't making any eye contact with her at that time? Or you kind of started crossing your arms or looking, or there were two or three people in the room and you kept looking at the guy you didn't give the women up the time of day like those kinds of things that are the visual cues that we are not being empathetic to the audience we're addressing that's the day we're trying to both show you in video but then give you lots of data about how you were behaving when it didn't seem like you were connecting with the people you were interacting with that's the analytics that we provide that's the feedback that we're providing in addition to the opportunities to kind of do it over again if that's helpful that was really helpful and yeah that kind of brought it all to life for me obviously i do know what you guys do but i love that example especially in sales and i love the speed part because one of the most common um challenges of someone reading their script for the first time is they speak really fast because they're nervous they're trying to get through it so just having something like that giving you the feedback to slow down is something that i constantly have to say to people all the time in my sales team so yeah. that's a really good example of how that works yep. yeah so I've, so here's one, because I, I, in looking at some of the comments, you know, I, I think this is, and I've even heard this in some of the discussions I've had about some of these new technologies is, you know, well, people could do this, right? In, in theory, people could do this. You could try and, and replicate this with just people. And I think we talked part of, part of my kind of counter back to that we talked about earlier, which is if I'm role playing with somebody, I can't be that that elderly Asian woman, or I can't put myself in that without looking absolutely ridiculous or inappropriate to try. You know what? It's just not there where with the technology, you actually can become another person. But I think the other piece, and I'm, and I'm curious if you can describe some of this piece is in theory, I guess some could say maybe a good chunk of this you could do with people, but logistically, I feel like having run large L and D organizations. Yeah. In theory, we could try and find subject matters from around the globe and we could try and pull this together and skill them all up and make sure they're all doing things consistently. Because that's, again, I think another challenge with role play is if you don't do the prep work for the people who are being those, you know, assessors, what they catch, what they do, it, it's not going to be consistent at all. And then it's just a logistical nightmare. So how is just purely operationally immersion helping tackle some of that stuff? Because that's a big inhibitor to me. Yeah, I mean, so I think you 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 said it very well. I, I, I we work with companies that hire real actors to do discrete forms of role play, and it's super expensive. Everybody, the actors have to go to a simple location. All the learners have to fly in to be there. Um, I mean. It's, it's fairly expensive to produce. You need a facility, you, you need a lot of training, it's hard to get this right, and you can only serve a small number at a time. Um, I mean, we get the, the sort of, if you think about the distance learning part of it, you can log in and do immersion anytime at home. Simulations tend to be powerful experiences in short doses. You, you don't spend an hour on it. You don't need to spend an hour on it. That intense conversation is gonna usually boil down to somewhere between seven and you know, at the most 15 or 20 minutes, but it's, they're usually these intense bursts. Why would you want to get people 
you know, physically coming together to do all of that. And then the, then once you agree that it's much better to do at a distance in lots of repetitive short cycles of doing it, then the question is, is it better to see me in my shirt in real life or to see a, a virtual representation of me in a way that feels like you're, um, you're actually interacting with the kind of character in the context you would really interact. And I think that's one of those things, you just gotta try it. Like it's, it's just better. And it is better because it creates this kind of suspension of disbelief that I was talking about. I, I will say one other thing that's possible just from a pure business model standpoint, like uh, our technology is really clever and it'll, and as the AI has gotten better, a single human can actually um, run a scene where there are multiple avatars. So let's say you had to do um, a diversity and inclusion scenario where there's six people in a meeting and you're in the meeting as the learner and there's a microaggression that occurs in the meeting. You can't pull, like that's really hard to coordinate in a virtual real-time seven-minute experience that's available on demand. Can't make that happen, you know, for people. And there's a lot of things like that you just can't do with real humans. I'll, I'll give you another one. You know, we do a lot in healthcare um, and we do a lot with issues that are super sensitive that people, you know, how do you have a conversation with your teenage daughter about um, the choices around her, her medical choices around, you know, fertility and things like that. H how do you have a conversation in, in difficult circumstances in therapy and around addiction and, um, and sexual assault? Like those are conversations that are super stressful. It actually turns out that you can produce them with a level of authenticity and, and power and impact much easier using a, a virtual avatar than I can sit here as myself and do it all day long. I, those are harder things to pull off with just humans interacting on a, on a Zoom call. Okay. Just to check, because there's, there's some people in the chat that are asking the same question over and over again. Are, are you saying that there's a human, in terms of the feedback, because a lot of people are talking about the feedback part and saying that if you, do you have the human doing the feedback after or is that also the the actual um so, uh, the, the, the actual uh, role play you you never meet the sim specialist right like we, we can talk about that part. so yeah i think i think people confused got confused i think people were thinking in a chat earlier by your comments that there's someone after you go for the role play there's someone in the background who's a human who gives you then the feedback manually no That's not the remember case. no remember when i said that so, you started I, off and i'm this host avatar so i got I'm, it i think they missed the avatar part so just, just yes. to clarify guys there is it's no human there's no human behind it because no we don't ever we <laughs> never review like the you never see the human the human could be anywhere in the world and they are all over the world actually doing it as so we have a, a a big cast of people around the world who are log in have been trained and certified to do the scenarios that they're doing and there's lots of quality control measures around it but the that person it plays all the characters in the scene regardless of their gender age what ethnicity what have you and and so they've been there for the whole thing and they have experienced it but when they're giving you feedback they're giving in the feedback in the form of another character who introduced you to the scenario and then they're actually rolling playing all the characters that you interacted with in the scenario um, and then they and then they close out the scenario for you so it's one person behind the scenes at all times okay all right yeah and having, and having been in it having gone through it i can kind of speak to that from experience that it is there's a, there's almost like a i don't know a digital host if you will yeah. right like it's a digital host who introduces you to it then they tell you you know are you ready and then they disappear and then you actually interact with these these what seems like multiple people, but really it's it's a super 
a computer powered person on the other end that's doing some of that stuff. Yeah, your colleague just put a good uh, comment in there, Paul, uh, Kevin Holland. He said that um, one actor can control up to four avatars simultaneously. Is that, there you is go. That, that, Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> uh, people are asking in the chat, how do you scale that? I think that's what people's yep. question was. How, how do you scale this out when you've got still got the human behind? So that kind of answers the question of you guys. I hope that answers your question because I saw a lot of comments coming through a minute yeah. ago. And that's, that. and that's where the AI comes in because I do want to dig into this a little bit because it talks about artificial intelligence. And you talked earlier about how you know, the AI is automating some of these things. What are some of those components that the AI is augmenting with the with the person on the back end that allows them to do some of this in a, in a level of authenticity that makes it feel real. Well, so I mean, the AI does a huge amount of it because if you have multiple characters, they, they have to be animate like humans. If you have five humans sitting around a table, if it weren't for AI, they would like be dead stick figures, right? They would just sit there lame. They, they have to, they breathe, they move, they shift, their, they react to one another, what someone says at the table. Often they talk amongst themselves. They're, you, you, one human could not possibly do all that at one time. The AI makes all of that happen authentically and is getting smarter and smarter so that when one character speaks, the other character at the table could be actually reacting to it. And it is only when the learner speaks to address a different character does the human, in a sense, inhabit that character for the spoken dialogue. And then in real time, it morphs the voice to the appropriate voice profile of the other avatar so that whether it shifts gender or not, a conversation is happening all the time. And increasingly what the AI can do is drive things that neither the learner nor the human actually um, triggered. So for example, you could have an event because you're in a workplace where things just happen. It's a, it's a cafe where, you know, suddenly there's a, a crowd rushes in or, you know, it's a fulfillment center where suddenly a truck starts beeping and all kinds of noises go off because there's just general activity. Those are the real life, it's a hospital where an emergency goes off. Like those are the real life distractions that cause us to get off our game when we're having a workplace dialogue and that is all triggered by ai okay so that so in an analogy chris you'll probably appreciate this oh looking the wrong way as a as, other way anyway as a gamer <laughs> piece right so these avatars are almost i think of you know video games where you turn on you know you're playing against the computer so when you're not interacting with an avatar that the ai is kind of running these bots they're doing these different things and then when you address or you interact with one Right then, that's where the the sim the the specialist is kind of taking over that person, almost kind of possessing them in a way and doing that interaction while the AI takes care of those other things. And and everything about their body language starts to be driven by AI as well. So that we we increasingly want uh, there's a I'll, I'll give you a thing that we've learned by actually go moving from the, the the sort of digital puppeteering, if you will, to the more AI system. It turns out there's a lot of ways that humans physically manifest boredom with the person they're talking about, right? And But we found out that we let, when we let humans decide how to manifest boredom by triggering a kind of oh, animation that like, they, they, they tend to revert to one of one or two things. But what we really want, we want learners to be good at is to pick up all of the cues that somebody they're interacting with might be bored or angry or confused or, or otherwise upset by the way a conversation is going. And it, it turns out that actually artificial intelligence is better than giving a human control of those emotions. That, that, that if you're gonna represent the wide range of body language that goes on, AI is better. 
And, and so we are now using more AI to trigger the body language of the avatars than letting the humans decide it. Well, well that would make sense, right? Because AI is extremely effective at detecting patterns, right? right. It yeah. can detect patterns and it can then execute against those patterns. So if, like you said, it can detect, hey, these are the typical patterns we see in human behavior. I imagine it, it has to be able to do that extremely well, probably better than trying to scale a person up to be like, okay, when you're bored, these are the two things and here's how you balance that to make it feel authentic. That's how, right. how advanced is that? Does it look at micro expressions as well? Is it that, is it yes. detail? It's reading your, we're reading, yes, wow. we're reading. Well, you can't reading... do that as humans, so we can't read micro expressions. So <laughs> right. that's already where AI wins. Right. And and so Drew in the chat on LinkedIn, that they, that answers your question, I hope, because he said, is the uh, human monitoring the body language or in real time? No, it's not, it's actually the AI. No, the AI is interpreting you as well. And, and, and it's gonna give you feedback uh, if you want it. Now we, we give people the right to be recorded or not be recorded. And even if their company would love to them all be recorded, we still give them the right. Uh, we're like, we are fully sort of uh, we, uh, working towards the GDPR requirements around privacy so that everybody gets to decide what data they want. But if you wanna get feedback on how you come across, we let you record the thing and get all the feedback you want. That's pretty cool, yeah. So with this one, I, I want to talk a little bit about not necessarily the data privacy piece, but a little bit from a culture standpoint. You know, if you think about it, there, I think sometimes where we struggle in L&D a little bit is getting people to trust that, hey, this is, this is a learning environment. This is an opportunity that's safe for you to fail and, and grow, right? That's what we're trying to do is make mistakes, learn from it and grow. How, how is immersion maybe helping with that so that maybe in an environment where that's a struggle or people were challenged with that, that, hey, you're, you're helping them bridge that gap. Well, so by its very nature, this gets back to actually where we started the conversation about what attracted me to this. Yeah. If you think about the skills that we learn that can, that really have to be demonstrated in real life in order to prove that we've actually learned them. Soft skills by definition fit into that, right? But there are a lot of technical skills that until you actually apply them in a real context, you can't actually say that you've learned or mastered them. Our, our, like the sales pitch is a classic one. I can memorize the sales pitch, you know, all the time in the world, but until I can show you that I can give it and answer your questions and overcome your objections, I really haven't learned it yet. So the first thing we're doing is giving you a safe private place to repetitively practice the thing that you think you've learned, but you don't know yet that you've learned until you actually try it over and over again. And, and letting you do that in a place where you can fail in private is something that I think is missing in a, in a lot of L&D programs, partially because the technology didn't exist to do it. So yep. like, wouldn't it be nice is every time somebody introduces a, a new skill that I had, a new piece of knowledge that I have to present to others that, and where they're gonna ask me questions about it, that I could just sort of kick the tires of that, of doing it uh, you know, for seven minutes on my own, get, get asked hard questions, fail, and just get my, get my shtick down in such a way that I'm really confident. Mm -hmm. Then there are other skills where we just are, life 
like we haven't been prepared for them. Like in the medical field, we deal with really serious ethical issues all the time. And we have to explain them to patients and to families. And if you think about the way doctors and nurses are prepared, so much is just the technical knowledge that goes into those ethical decisions, not the incredibly difficult conversations we have to have with people when we explain the consequences of those decisions. And, and so much of the way the world experiences healthcare is that latter thing, which we get no opportunity to practice. There is a huge need that's not being filled by any other technology right now to give people the opportunities in private, in safety to practice those kinds of things. Well, and that's, you you hit on something that I think, I'm very outspoken about it on. I actually just gave a keynote recently that was on this, is that, you know, as an industry, I think historically, learning and development has invested, we've over-indexed on content. We've over-indexed on creating content, distributing content, putting content out there and getting in people's hands, and haven't invested as much in how do we give, like you described, people opportunities to put it into practice because otherwise you end up with the Dunning-Kruger effect. You have you have people that think they're phenomenal at this stuff and they haven't had a chance to try it. And then you put them in the you know shark tank and they just get eaten alive because like, well, see, you, you watched a bunch of TED Talks. That doesn't mean you could deliver one. Right. Um, so I think that's where you know this does kind of help us. But like you said, I think sometimes what I see in our industry is we tend to kind of pick polarizing sides and defend one or the other. And I think it wasn't necessarily we focused on content because we didn't know what we were doing or, you know, we, we made mistakes. It's just we were limited to the environment we had. And now technology is creating these opportunities for us to be able to do things that just weren't possible. I mean, we just couldn't do it at any sort of speed and scale. That's right. I love the on idea. That, of, I, go on, go sorry. Ahead. I'll say I no. love the idea. I absolutely love the idea of it personally. I remember how terrified I was when I first got my sales script and I had to go and pitch, you know, my CEO, the sales director the next day is terrifying, right? Not having any feedback before going into that real life situation on how good you were or how. And, and I used to take it to the point where I would write my script out on paper, then record myself um, saying it out loud. So I have an audio recording of it basically do everything you're doing, but manually <laughs> in order to give myself some type of feedback where I was listening to myself back or writing it down, etc. So being able to do that in my own comfort of my house, my home, wherever I am uh, until I'm comfortable is, is huge. And it's and, but, scale and scalable. More important. Right. And it's also scalable in your organization as well, which is one of the things I love about it. It's scalable and it, and it works um, with everyone in terms of anytime, anywhere, any device, literally. So. Well, and I think one of the things you hit on, Chris, with, you know, when you were a salesperson is that if you think about it, and again, this is, I'm always a salesperson. You always, I know you're always <laughs> a salesperson, that's fine. It but never leaves you. back when you did that, when you were practicing your script, you were watching it and you were giving feedback to yourself based on what your interpretation on was. what I knew, you exactly. What you knew. Yeah. You, there <laughs> yeah. might be things you didn't even know to Which even was be nothing able to back tell then. yourself. Right. Yeah. right. Now you know it all. But, but no, I don't then, know. Def never know it all. There's always the unconscious, you know, there's always the unconscious right. things that you don't know. And that's why I think that's great. Well, and, okay. and the element you'd love to add to that is, is there somebody pushing your buttons while you're doing it? 
Because of course, in real life, there's always you know, somebody pushing your buttons. Yeah. Sometimes you don't, you don't, you don't get uncomfortable. That's that's yeah. that, that, and and that's where you learn the most, and where the growth comes is right. when you're uncomfortable and you're challenged. Right? That's when you really know. Do you know your stuff? Right. That's <laughs> why we let, moments. <laughs> that's why you let the audience ask questions. Right? If they don't push your buttons, you don't really find out if you know what you're talking about. They're asking a lot of questions. So I bet they back are. They <laughs> are. <laughs> so I want to pull up. I, I have an, a follow up question to this, but I want to pull it up because again, I think we've we've talked a lot about it. I'm going to pull up the slide just briefly so people can see what, and this isn't a full-blown demo of it, but so that you can see kind of what one of these environments looks like when you're going into it and so how you're interacting with this. One of the questions I have as we're looking at this environment, Mark, is, you know, as you think about it, there there is always this battle of customization versus off the shelf. You, know, you look at some of these simulations and you say, oh, well, you know, we have to do a full custom simulation or no, we can be off the shelf. Where is Mersion on that? What's your capability and flexibility to, you know, move quick with maybe something off the shelf versus go deep and do a, a truly custom? And how does that work? Well, so over the last um, several years, we've built up an exceptional bank of avatars and sort of environments. You're looking at, you know, two... Uh, avatars in a residential environment where we train home healthcare workers how to come into the homes of different people and have difficult conversations that they might have to have about a whole home healthcare regimen that they're going through. Okay. Um, so, um, but but whether it's an office place, uh, a factory floor, a medical center, uh, or a home, we've now built up a lot of environments and a, and, and a wide range of age, gender, ethnicity, combinations of avatars. So if you want to take any of them, you could start tomorrow with a set of simulations. We have a bank of scenarios that fall into many of the areas we've been talking about right now. Um, leadership development, certainly, where listening skills and diversity and inclusion, de-escalating conflict are all incredibly relevant. Um, a lot of healthcare contexts where you're having difficult conversations about medical treatments or breaking good or bad news, more often than not bad, to the families of uh, and patients. Um, a lot of customer service just you know i'm at the i'm in a hospital i'm i mean i'm in a a, a, a hotel i'm in a restaurant i'm in a, a retail facility where some customer is just being a schmuck and i have got to figure out a way to professionally de-escalate them and move to the next customer and and where brand is at risk if i revert to my inner you know obnoxiousness and say get the hell out of my store where that's just not tolerant those kinds of things we are ready to go can sort of turn a key and start but invariably sometimes people come to us and say it's got to look like my workplace or it's got to be this avatar and that takes a little bit of custom development but the rest of it and short amounts of time i'm i mean i can give you a case study of an example sort of soup to nuts of where someone came in and did something um, at scale with huge impact that involved customization, just so you have a, a feel for it. Um, in November, about a year or so ago, um, Best Western came to us to train every front desk clerk at every Best Western hotel in the United States. Um, they wanted a lot a, a front desk, they, they wanted folks that deal with the kind of business traveler who runs in and finds the following things we've all kind of run into in life in travel. One, my room's not ready. Two, there's somebody loud in the room next door. Three, the internet doesn't work. Like 
think of all the things that go wrong when you stay and you travel and business travel. They wanted somebody who could calmly solve the problem, you know, give them the appropriate rewards or whatnot, and de-escalate the conflict. We went through um, by we 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 signed up in November. We built them the virtual lobby and avatars by January, had trained a team uh, of our SIM specialists to deliver by mid-February, we had delivered, we were ready to launch all of those scenarios. And by June, we had trained every front desk clerk at uh, Best Western. And Best Western has written up a case study that shows that for the first time, they had a material increase in the net promoter score that they received from the people that experienced service at their front desk clerk at the, all of their properties nationwide. And they've correlated the increase in, in, in net promoter score to increased revenue at those properties. I mean, they, it's their case study. Like that is a soup to nuts version of an engagement that we've done and what it takes when we even have to customize. That could have gone faster had the customization not been necessary. Okay. And that, and that was one of the questions I had and, and you answered it well there, because I think sometimes when we look at experiences like that in L and D we're challenged with doing it at scale, right? We can do it, but maybe we can only do it for a, a small group of people or a specialized group of people over here. We just can't hit tens of thousands of people over a yeah. few months. It's just not, it's not scalable. And it sounds like you have that capability and capacity to help organizations with that. Yes. Yes, I mean we are we are we're doing things in the hundreds of thousands of learners now. So the um, I mean the yeah scale is not the issue. Scale is actually the solution for us. It's easier for us to do something on a large scale. The harder things to do are little niche specialty projects for a small number of people. Okay, so how about this on that topic? I've got two things that come to mind. First of all, one um, you know when you look at let's let's talk about the niche and customization versus things like that is in those situations where maybe you truly do need to go deep and it's only something that internal internally you can do, you know, or maybe you really need the true internal subject matter expertise. Is there an ability for say somebody from your company to be skilled up and drive one of those SIMs? So maybe that person could, could go deeper than maybe a, a SIM specialist might be able to do. Is that a possibility? Yes. And we, that that's a very good question. And we do have clients that do that now. So, and, and we envision this being a platform that we turn over to any company that wants to do it. So um, as it turns out, there's, there are a lot of people that are already in the employ of organizations that are perfectly capable of to being what we call simulation specialists. We, we often recruit people out of those organizations. We train them and we deploy the software internally where everything they do is entirely private within the organization. So we would have no interaction with them at all. Um, we, we have a lot of large organizations that have come to us to do that. In some cases, they go outside. There are so many talented people that have theater or improv backgrounds who are so excited at the opportunity to do this work. Um, they still, many of them like to engage in performance work at night. But if you think about business hours, there's not a lot, a whole lot of theater happening, you know, on five days a week during, uh, during the yeah. business hours of nine to five. And those people need something to do. And they, this is real performance and they love it. And so finding them is not difficult. Training on them is not hard. And this system is super easy for them to use. And so you're absolutely right to suggest it. You don't have to have us do it. We'd happily put you in our business and let you go do it for yourself. Okay. Because that's helpful. Because again, I think sometimes there are situations where maybe there's, there's a level of competitive intelligence or data privacy that an organization may not necessarily 
regardless of how secure your stuff is, they may say, we just, we feel yeah. more comfortable keeping that, you know, behind our closed doors. So that's good to know that's possible. The other one I was going to ask is, right, you look on a global scale. I think this is a challenge for learning and development leaders in general. When you have large global organizations, you're dealing with, with nuances in cultures and countries that you, you maybe can, you know, the days of all you needed to do is translate your content and that wasn't even easy. I mean, that wasn't even easy. So anybody who's been in the space knows that's that's no small task. In still wasn't easy. <laughs> it's still not. <laughs> but now you talk about you know this experience stuff and and all the cultural. So are you able to do that? You know, to help with hey, okay, if we've got a region over here, or a country over here, are you able to help with that so that instead of people having to try and navigate all that territory, can you support them through that? We, we are working with companies like Coca-Cola that are global. We are working in most countries in the world doing this. And, and we are building up partners that cover cultures where it's hard to find expertise in the United States. So, you know, we have centers um, in London and Asia and the Middle East and in Africa where we can draw the, the, the human expertise we need to deliver compelling experiences that work in those cultures. For global corporations, it's not actually as hard as it sounds because there is a sort of, they, they tend to have a, a more homogenized global approach. They, they do it in English, first of all, although we are, we do it, we do do it in other languages um, as well. Obviously the avatars have to look uh, you know, uh, of the country they're speaking and the language they're speaking. But we have big partners in Mexico, for example, in Latin America that are doing this for themselves. In some cases, when language is a big obstacle, they often go down the software license route that you alluded to earlier. But we have folks delivering in languages across the globe. Okay. So I think, yeah, that, that's, like I said, I think there's, and, and, I, and I'm sensitive to it because having been in a lot of U.S. organizations running L&D on the U.S. side. One of the things I'm always sensitive to is you know, when you think about an organization, the last thing you want to do is you're rolling things out globally is have every, yeah. everything feel like it's U.S. centric. It's coming from corporate and mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a push down and, and being able to kind of tap into that gives it a level of authenticity that, that overcomes that. I think that's almost essential the way that we're moving forward that you have that it can't it can no longer be that yeah. <laughs> uh, as well just like curiosity as, as the technology um gets better are you looking to get to the point where you can't just dis, 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 uh, distinguish the <laughs> the role play versus reality because if you look at some of the games that are out that i personally play and, and that are out now you almost can't tell or even the movies let's say you can't tell between is it actually a real person or is yes. it but, uh, uh, is, yes. that, is that the plan for, or would yes. you always keep it so you're very clear that that's actually not well, human right there? <laughs> there's a, of interest. We have a whole board of, of um, psychologists who advise us on this very issue. And to be fair, the science is catch. So those films that are doing that right now, where they are pushing the limit of reality with, with yeah. essentially virtual reality only in film, um, that's computer generated graphics. I, I mean, they're really quite extraordinary and they're blending and sort of bending our definition of what is real and not real yeah. 
And we're trying to decide whether or not that is comforting or discomforting. And that's we, what I was, that's, that was my question. Cause I, was, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that makes it more or less comforting knowing that it's actually, it's a, a good question. We, all we know so far, like we know that moving from cartoony characters towards more realistic characters has been the mm -hmm. right thing to do. Okay. Whether we move to the full hyper real where you really yeah. can tell whether I'm the avatar or I'm Mark that right now, that, that we haven't decided. We're just incrementally moving forward and testing and getting advice as we do. We do a lot of studies. We work with a lot of research organizations that are doing research with us on the technology as we're deploying the technology on subjects like this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think personally in gaming, I think there's been a lot of research that you are engaged. Oh, I could say personally, actually, forget about the research. I'm personally more engaged in the experience with those, you know, hyper-realistic yeah. games. You know, it's, I think most people would say the same thing. Yeah, it's super interesting. Uh, as well. But is it? But from psychological psychological point of view, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 we got yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the last question I have because we've only got a couple minutes left, and and this is one I think that's really important for L and D to always consider because it can be easy to hear about these new these new techs and and the use cases and get excited and be like, oh yeah, well, yeah, let's do it, without really thinking through what are some of the implications or the things that you need to do on the L&D side to be prepared to make this a success? Because I have to imagine it's not just you flip a switch and magically immersion fixes all your problems. I mean, that's that's just not realistic. So what are some of those things that you would say, hey, if, if this is something that you're looking at pursuing, these are some steps to take to prepare your org, your people, you know, things to make the most of this? Uh, so the first thing is that you never heard me describe us as a soup to nuts training program. Okay. We don't teach you the leadership skill. We give you the opportunity to practice the leadership skill. So we are we, we need to be yoked to some other training initiative, whether it's face to face or online in an appropriate way. I what I think will happen and I think the learning that we will have with our clients is where does simulation fit into most forms of learning. For, for the most part, all L&D executives are looking for ways to demonstrate and practice the skills that they want their executives to have, right? So, so the question is, how, where appropriately does simulation fit into that? Um, that's certainly one. Two is I think that it's just different and that it's a live experience and most people, most e-learning is asynchronous these days. And so you think about all the scheduling and logistics of a synchronous experience as opposed to an asynchronous experience. That's certainly something that I think we, um, we, we want to address. We are increasingly becoming on demand so that we right now uh, work through the scheduling of when we do simulations with a little bit of notice. As in the next year or so, we'll be very close to with either within 24 hour notice or just on demand. This is where volume really is our, our solution. And then I would say the other thing that is a big shift, there is one thing in L&D that I regret, which is it has to do with what the bosses impose on the L&D executives, which is Training is one and done. Take the course. There's a presumption that you know the thing at the end of the course. Behavioral change for anybody who's tried to diet or exercise, we all know. Like you don't. It's just, not just one because and you know. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not one and done. And so, so, uh, so it is with human skills. I am not going to become empathetic because I do a single sim. 
We have done a lot of research on what it takes to move behavior. And we actually have a, a, a real body of literature that supports that after only four simulations, we can really start to see people changing, but they don't change fundamentally unless they keep at it in the same way that I am not gonna lose all of that Captain Crunch I ate for breakfast in my <laughs> girth by simply running once today, right? Okay. That, I gotta keep at it. So that's a, that's a change too. So, so fundamentally, and this will kind of be my closing thoughts on this, is all the good principles we know as learning and development professionals still play in. We, we can't just assume that the tech is going to come solve that for us. We still need to, to set the table, prepare the organization, do all these good things, but Mersion can help assist in some of those challenges and, and give, I think, help us better index on experiences versus just content. Yeah, I think that's fair. Absolutely. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we're going to wrap. We're, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, for, for people who are interested in learning more about Mersion, I, I would highly recommend try it out. You know, reach out to me if you want. You can reach out. Mark, they can probably reach you or anybody over at the Mersion team. Yeah, come on our website, get a demo right away, see it. You got to do it in order to really experience it. You'll have a, all these questions will get answered once you try it. And, and if not, we'll answer them and hopefully work with you to get you something you like. All right. Well, awesome. Well, well, thank you for being here, Chris. Thanks for joining me again on another show. Uh, for those of you watching, be sure to tune in and subscribe to the podcast, to all that good stuff. And uh, we'll be here again next week, same time. So thanks again. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you both. Fantastic. See you there, Bye -bye. guys. Bye.